king and we want him now we want a king and we want him now we want a king all right welcome 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 to civil discourse this is not a safe space and here i am again with a producer and now co-host extraordinary keith who is filling in for the wonderful, amazing Charles with that great baritone bass voice that I know you all enjoy, but he is out riding his motorcycle in the far reaches of the West. And I keep getting text messages to make me incredibly jealous because I was invited along on that trip and didn't go. So, hey, Keith, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. I feel like that was a lot of superlatives for both of us in that opening statement. Um, wow, you know, I'm, I'm throwing them around <laughs> liberally. So just, just a warning for anybody, I am severely suffering from allergies this week so i apologize if i sound congested at any point or there we go there's a sniffle it happens we're, we're, it's that time of the year <laughs> we're suffering from joint congestion and we're not talking traffic because uh, here in the south it is uh, ragweed season so uh, but i'm beating it down with bubbly water and drugs so hopefully i'm not too far off base so we'll have great fun here but keith i i, I kind of gave you a little preview what do you think we should talk about today oh I have a feeling we should talk about the land that's not quite all the way in the east, but not quite in the west. Somewhere in the middle. Oh, the area. Middle East. Oh, yeah. that's what it is. <laughs> I have some real opinions about that, and, and we're not going to make anybody happy. You know, be, uh, and be, before we get into it, I just I, I was sure. thinking about this the other day in preparation for this, and just the way that we describe the world in itself, and just in directional and cardinal directions, right? It's, it's very so European. much of so much of our <laughs> stuff is based on Greenwich Mean Time, and in that. In that line, you know, East, Middle East, the West. It's like if I was in Japan, I would go East to get to the West. It's it's all relative, but you can see how it all became centric based on that Anglo, you know, Britain and dominance oh, and, and everything yeah. revolves around that. So everything we talk about, the maps that we look at that don't actually properly represent the land masses as they actually are on Earth. It just we we a lot of things get colluded or not colluded. That's not the right word. Um, convoluted. That's the word I was looking for. Based on our perception of just the way we talk about the world, because of who made those words in the first place. So I want to start with that first. It's funny because when you talk to Europeans and you're you're in North America, they laugh because um, they say you always put the U.S. in the middle of the map. Well, you always put. The UK in the middle of the map and in China, guess what they put in the middle of the map? We all we all put whatever it is where we are in the middle of the map. And and so I, I find your point interesting, though, because it's all from a, a, a Eurocentric perspective when we call it the, quote, Middle East um, it, it, or Northern Africa. Right. Um, so, yeah, it, it is. And, you know, I it's funny that you brought up the map projection. The Mercator is the one most of us know. And I used, I think I told you all, I've, I've, I, our faithful listeners here, I think I've told you all that I, I taught geography for a few years and, and we talked about the uh, projections. And I always said, if you want to know if you're looking at a Mercator, make Mercator projection, if Greenland is the same size as Australia, that's not real life. <laughs> that's the distortions on the map. Uh, so unless you're holding a globe, you really don't know how big countries are, do you? Yeah, so, it's kind of hard to take a, a a spherical surface and flatten it out and make it look correct. You just can't do it. Yeah, the ones that look like they were cut with the scissors are more accurate than correct. some. But but again, they're not accurate either. And and so um, yeah, it was it was uh, it, it's it's an interesting thing. But it, it also where do we get this term Middle East? Really, what we're talking about is is the Arab world. 
I, I suppose, and and uh, or Northern Africa and Eastern Asia, the former Asia, the former Korea. Ottoman Empire, right, or the Ottoman Empire. But we're we're talking about it from a uh, English Empire perspective, aren't we? Correct. Uh, so I mean, that's just how we grew up then. Then that's just how we colloquially we know about it. Oh, and, and to the point where uh, folks who are from uh, those countries refer to it as the Middle East as well, because, you know, they were once colonies, colonial uh, entities of, of several European countries that if they weren't if they weren't colonized by the Ottoman Empire it, anyway. I mean, who uh, who wasn't a colony of the British or the French at some point? Uh, I, I'm trying to think some of the ones I guess the Dutch had, but the, 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 the English that? and the French let the Dutch have. So Right. <laughs> Anyway, it's not worth that one's not worth it for us. So you guys can have it. Yes. So or or because they relied on the Dutch economy so much, they weren't letting go of it. So, um, yeah, I I think that's all a great preface. And by the way, if you've gotten this far, we do want to thank you for listening to us and and ask you to go ahead and and let your friends know. I I see the numbers. Charles does not. But I'll share them with him when I see him here in a couple of weeks. And um, our our audience is slowly growing. Uh, We should be hitting 100 here soon, weekly downloaders, which producer Keith will tell you is a huge milestone to overcome. Most podcasts never hit a hundred. So, so we're thrilled to have you keep telling your friends and hopefully the thousand will come just as quickly as the hundred did. So most uh, don't make it past episode seven. Yes. Yes. So uh, we're going to continue to keep recording. And, and next time, I think next time we record, if I remember correctly, producer Keith will be during the, when I'm going to be in the studio with you. So it'll live be, and in person. You know, Yes, it'll be even more fun. So uh, anyway, I, I wanted to do a little history teacher for a little while, Keith, and I'd love to hear your thoughts and, and ask your questions. And then I'm going to uh, let you uh, talk a little bit. And uh, I, I think I gave you the burning question before we went to the recording. So ask the burning question, Keith. Oh, the burning question. Why, why? are we called <laughs> the great Satan? Yes. Why does uh, specifically Iran, why do they call us the great Satan? And, and I think it's you know, there was a politician here a few years ago. It says because they hate our freedom, um, and that could not be farther. I, from I don't the think truth. it's that at all. <laughs> yeah, it could not be farther from the truth. And, and so, I, I, I guess it's it's sad that I have to say this before I start, but I do love my culture and my country uh, as a people, and and as all the great things that we offer to the earth. And, and neither Keith nor I are saying that we are indeed the great Satan. Uh, what we're saying is, and I don't know what Keith's saying, but I, what I'm going to say is there are reasons that we have uh, given uh, Iran specifically and, and maybe most of, of the Arab world uh, for us to be seen that way. And, and so I, I ask that you just suspend your 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 patriotism for a, not suspend your patriotism, look beyond your patriotism and, and hear what we're saying. And, and imagine if these things happen to us, how you would respond. And so before I go into this, which I will in a moment, I, I'm just asking you to bear with me and maybe I can give you a unique perspective or, or a little bit different perspective on maybe we did just a little bit to earn that title. So uh, sorry, I have to say that. And if you're a faithful listener, you know that I I served our, our nation for many years. So it's not a, a lack of patriotism on my part. But and, and also just to remind you the name of the show, not a safe space. <laughs> Not a safe space. So, so we're, we're, gonna challenge, we're trying we're to gonna challenge, challenge people's <laughs> thoughts and things and be critical thinkers here. Yes. And so uh, I, I was going to really focus in on and start the story on world War, at, during World War II. 
And I know there's a thousand years of history before, literally before World War II that leads up to this point. But I'm, I'm going to start there because you got to start somewhere. And, and I'm going to concede right up front that all land on earth is conquered land. It, it just is. No original people are living on, maybe the Aborigines in Australia, but no other people on earth is living on land that their forebears uh, originated from. So we'll, we'll just leave it at that. Um, maybe maybe some South African um, Afrikaners and, and maybe some Aborigines in, in Australia. And I don't even know if that's the correct term anymore, Keith. Uh, natives, we'll say natives to Australia. Uh, but Yeah, I'm but, not really sure either. Yeah, I, and so if I'm being incorrect, I'm sorry. Uh, anyway, but but most cases, we're all conquerors. We're the, the sons, the grandsons, the daughters, the granddaughters, the whatever of people who conquered this land, regardless of where you are. Uh, my my German forebears were probably not the original uh, inhabitants of that land either. So um, talking about uh, Iran specifically, during the beginning of World War II, Iran was a neutral power. They, they did not pick a side. They were a developing nation at that point. Their military had been building since World War I, uh, but they were really investing in their military, investing in infrastructure, and they wanted to become a more modern nation in light of industry, electricity, all those things, because they had huge oil reserves that they, would, they could leverage to do that. And they had, the English had signed some really sweetheart deals for the English to, to leverage Iranian oil and um, were basically sole, they were, they were the sole uh, purchasers of that oil. So they, they set the price wherever they wanted to set. And because Iran was a neutral power, the Germans moved into Iran because they too needed oil. And the English didn't like the fact that the Germans were buying Iranian oil. So in 1941, when England, when Russia was invaded by the Germans, the English went into a political pact to invade Iran to get the Germans out of there. So the Russians came down from the north, the uh, English came in from the west, and essentially they met in the middle. And uh, I looked at the statistics, it was a relatively bloodless unless it was your family that got killed uh invasion i think it was less than 100 people uh, iranians that were reported killed we don't know what the real number is but but those two major european powers took over iran for the duration of the war and in 1945 the english pull out guess who was a little slower to pull out keith the, the united <laughs> states yes and stalin basically stayed around long enough to establish a communist party in iran uh and so that was his big goal was to get a good communist movement before uh, he withdrew his troops. So he withdrew the troops, the Russian troops, a, a year or so later. And so Iran had free elections. And um, I can never say the guy's name. I think it's Masadadek. Masadadek was elected as the uh, leader of Iran. The, and they did have a Shah, Shah Riza, who's the father of uh, Riza Pahlavi, who, who's the Shah from the 1980s. Um, and... and Essentially, they, uh, they, the British had deposed uh, Shah Riza and put Riza Pahlavi, his son, on the throne because they thought they could manipulate him however they wanted to. And the leader of Iran said, those sweetheart deals that you have, Brits, uh, we're, we're, we're nationalizing all our oil fields. You're going to have to renegotiate because we want to control our own resources. And, and let's be real honest, as an independent and free power, I, I'm going to pause at this point and say, Keith, don't you think that's that's kind of 
their power in within their power to do. <laughs> so I mean, it's things uh, that, <laughs> when we talk about freedom of countries, it always baffles me just generally speaking when we oppose what we think other countries should be doing. Whereas we don't want anyone to oppose what we should be doing on ourselves. Right. Right. And, and so they should control their natural resources. I think most exactly. folks would agree. And so if they have a natural resource, is their right to regulate, mine it, whatever. Um, obviously, nowadays, we have coalitions with other countries about, you know, greenhouse gas emissions and things. But those are agreements that we came to together, not right. one military force or national force imposing their will upon another uh, country. Right. And, you know, Yari said the key words a couple times, oils in there. So, you know. This is the 20th century industrialization. We all need this resource and we know where it is. They're trying to get it. And it's all, it, it's so many things at once. It's, yeah, it's huge. It's <laughs> huge. But, but I think, and, and we have to understand we're still an oil-based economy and yes. we're seeing the economy tanking as oil prices are going up. And, and we'll discuss on another show why that's happening uh, when it's a little bit after the fact, so we can all be much more calm about it because I'm not real happy about that $5 a gallon I'm paying at the pump. And since I'm heading to Connecticut, it really looms over my head. But anyway, um, so, you know, uh, most, I, and I'm sorry, I'm mispronouncing his name. All are my Persian friends, please forgive me. So Mossadegh is, is, is really trying to take control of his nation's economy. And uh, this is going on for a few years into the early 50s. And of course, America is really the new big boy on the block. The U.S. is really the big boy on the block. And, and our best buddies uh, are, are to the north, our Canadian friends, and of course, our friends in the U.K. And, and the United States has always been strong allies with both of those nations. Uh, and you can tell who America loves best by who they give the highest security clearances to. And, and that's some wisdom that was told to me by uh, someone who I know has the inside track. And he said, there are things that Canadians and the English can see that no other nation can see in our secured files. So, um, so Britain's not really liking this guy who's rattling the saber here saying, this is our oil. They want their sweetheart deal. They go to President Eisenhower's administration, a guy named Kermit Roosevelt, who is the grandson of Theodore Roosevelt. And they start working with Kermit Roosevelt, who, who is working with the CIA saying, we can't have this. We need this oil. We're recovering from the war. And it's called the 28-day, uh, 28 Mordad coup, Keith. And on mm -hmm. 28 Mordad, which is in the uh, the Islamic calendar uh, or the Persian calendar, uh, the United States and England hired thugs, gangsters, and terrorists to overthrow the lawfully elected governor of Iran, a government of Iran, and put a puppet in his place to control the country and sign those sweetheart deals. And it is the first time in American history that we did that. This is the very first time, 1953, if I remember my date right. And Keith, I'm working from memory here, so if I get it wrong, uh, please correct me. I mean, yeah, because I, I, I could be fact-checking you live if you want me to. Yeah, double, double check me while I'm talking. And so we deposed the government using terrorists and thugs. We, we literally hired gangsters from, from Tehran, in Tehran, to destabilize the government, to act like irrational nuts uh, and, and pretend like they were supporting the lawfully elected government so that the media would portray them as, as being extremists. And uh, so Shah 
Riza Pahlavi was, was placed in power. Um, and, and by the way, this is not a 90% to 10, 90% to 10% uh, revolution that's going on or coup that's going on. It's a, it's a 55, 45, where the 45, there are 45% of the people who, who want this to happen. Uh, and I'm making up numbers. It may, it may have been a little bit different, but I'm, I'm saying there was no clear side that was getting um, the bad end of the deal here. There was, there was a side that, that did want this to happen. And so um, they established the, the Shah as the principal power in Iran. And the Shah proceeds to secure his reign using a police force and secret police force to arrest citizens who are opposed to the government and to essentially execute those who do not support his government. And in fact, they arrest the lawfully elected prime, I think it's prime minister, if I remember right, of Iran and sentence him to death. Uh, the Shah nicely commutes his sentence and uh, sends him off into exile. And I think he dies uh, relatively soon after, uh, probably of a broken heart. And, and so uh, we continue to fund Iran's uh, government um, unelected, and he builds his, his secret police, he builds his military, and he suppresses any dissent that goes on from 1953 until 1979, when he is the overthrown the coup uh, by um, really, it, it's not what that that originally it was not what people thought it was. It wasn't this Islamic extremist coup. It was it was a bunch of a bunch of different types of folks who worked together to overthrow the Shah and, and um, take control of the government. I, I really think, and, and Keith, this is just a from all my reading on this. I think we ended up with the government that was in Iran in in the early '80s in reaction to our at, reaction to that coup the second coup in 79. Um, but when, when the Ayatollah Khomeini went on the media and called us the great Satan, in light of what we had done to that country for uh, 25, 26 years, I may not agree, but I can understand if that makes sense. What do you think? So first fact checked, you were correct. Uh, 1953, August 15th through the 19th. Right. Was were the dates of the coup. So and how do, how do you say it's correct? It's Mossadegh, right? Uh, Mossadegh. Okay. Okay. Um, I don't think it's, it's a hard, it's a, not a hard G, right? It's a soft G, I think. Uh, and that could be, you know, I learned all I, this reading. So uh, Muhammad, I don't know. Min, Prime Minister <laughs> Muhammad Mossadegh. Yes. Is how um, I would say it. I'm also not and, an expert in pronunciation. So. That would, please do not hold me next to that. I could go to, I'm not going to do that. And we apologize if I, if I, I know I mispronounced the name and I apologize for that, but I hope everyone realizes my intent was, was a positive. Uh, I, I don't know if he was a great guy or a good guy. He was a lawfully ec elected guy. Uh, well, he, re he represented a majority of the population in that vote. So we'll go back anyway. to an earlier thing you were talking about is the fact that it was also communist, communist influenced at the beginning too. And that's, really i think the one of the key justifications you know one the oil two communism you know post world war ii the u.s is hell-bent on defeating anything remotely red anything remotely communist is is bad you know we, we have the hearings on the capitol uh you know uh all the mccarthy hearings everything anything that could be possibly communist that we need control of 
is bad and we need to stop it from spreading is the mentality. And so it, it completely lines up with why the U.S. would want to do it because we like, no, Soviet Union can't have it. We needed it to be in there. Um, is it right? Probably not. Do I understand why they call us the great saying? We messed some stuff up there. We it, it's goes along with a long history. Like you said, there's thousands of years of history in the Middle East before we get to this point. Right, right. And, and Keith, <laughs> you hit on a point and thank you for doing it is is Mossadegh was not a communist. In fact, he loathed communism. Uh, he, he was, you know, in that mode of uh, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. And, and so uh, Mossadegh wasn't, and, and we only know this since they, uh, they released the documents in the 2000s regarding the 28 Mordag coup. Uh, we only know this from those released documents. The CIA had already done an assessment of Mossadegh and, and his politics and said he was vehemently anti-communist and that there is no way that he would ever turn Iran into a communist country. And so they used the communist excuse to justify their actions in the coup, but nothing could be further from the truth. This, this, any, and, and we're not going to get into Vietnam today, but we also deposed a lawfully elected uh, prime minister in Vietnam. Who so we said the communist who wasn't. So, <laughs> so I'm, I'm a fast Google searcher, by the way, because um, it. I just found it said, you know, British Prime Minister Winston Churchill suggested to the incoming Eisenhower administration that Mosaddegh, despite being openly disgusted by communism, was or would become dependent on the pro-Soviet party. Right. So it was all in a in an illusion. They created an illusion that he might be pro-communist uh first off communism and and most islamic uh philosophy don't they don't they clash they don't, greatly they, they clash <laughs> a lot it doesn't work it's any more so than uh, and by the way there are roman catholic communists too but they really don't work together well it, it takes a lot of um effort to overcome the philosophy of one to, to meet the other philosophy of the other and in fact it's probably easier with roman catholic philosophy than it is with uh with yeah. Islam, even, philosophy. Co even, I, communist, I Catholic, so. even communism, anyway. the way that it was actually done, wasn't even correct, anyways. So, because right. <laughs> you still so, had corruption and all that stuff behind it, with so it was not a perfect yeah. structure by any stretch of the imagination. But it was it was the boogeyman of the rest of the world that we've been trying to fight against, and it's still being used even today in uh, politics. It's used as the boogeyman. Oh, communism. Durr. Yeah. And it doesn't mean anything when you use it that way. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's insanity to, to throw that out. And I don't yeah. want to go too far down that path. No, I'm sorry. It's, <laughs> that's how no, my no, brain I, works. I, I go sideways fast. No. And, and I love that you brought it up because it, I did, I'm glad you brought it up because I wanted to address that specifically is we now know from the, uh, CIA documents that were released under the freedom of information act that they knew he wasn't a communist. They knew he wasn't going to take Iran. Uh, towards Russia or the Soviet state. Uh, he, they knew all that was not, not going to happen. And they also knew that the Communist Party in Iran was very small, again, because Islam and, and communism, they just don't meet real well. <laughs> uh, I'm not saying they're not Islamic communists, uh, by the way, Keith. I'm just saying it, they're very few in numbers. And, and so um, anyway, it, it, the whole thing becomes a mess. And then Let's let let's keep going down this path. So we have three major players emerging in in the late 1940s in uh, what we call the Middle East. We have Iran, who's who's definitely a major player, and I hope you're fact checking me here as I go. They're Shia Muslims, which which are a minority Muslim sect. Uh, 
And then we have the House of Saud has now starting to take control in Saudi Arabia, and uh, which also has huge oil reserves. And they are Sunni Muslim, uh, specifically Wahhabis within Sunnism. And then, of course, we had the establishment in 1947, if I remember correctly, of the um, the Jewish state of Israel. And while they are very small in population, um, they have. And by the way, in 47, they didn't have all the Western money they have now. Mm-hmm. Uh, May 14th, but, 1948. Right. 48. Is it 48? Yep. 48. Uh, fact checking. OK, that's why I love the, your fact checking, because <laughs> I'm doing all this. I didn't prep for this, folks. I'm doing this all from my own memory. Uh, so I did reread uh, some stuff I had on Mosaddegh. Um, but but really, the dates are going to be hard for me to keep up. So well, that's you know, we talking about those, you talk about the Shiite and the Sunni, and we talk about we already mentioned Iran, um, Israel, but we also have all the other Middle Eastern countries that were created, emphasized created by the victors of World War II, by Britain, by France, by the U.S., divided arbitrarily through lines, putting opposing factions in the same country so right, where the right. where the natural divider lines between shiite and sunni used to be now they're in the same country where they were opposing countries before that so we all now we've taken what we as the again the anglos saying oh well you're all just middle eastern let's just put you together no they're still separate within that they're still separate um uh communities that don't necessarily get along with each other you know, so why would we put them together? Because we didn't care to think about it. We didn't care to talk to them and actually understand their culture at all. It just these are Middle Easterns, these are Islamics, and we're going to group them as such. And right. then we're going to carve off this a little land and say, here is Israel, and you now have it, and we're going to protect the heck out of this because we feel bad for you and other reasons. Right. And and, and uh, uh, an example of this is Kurdistan. Kurdistan is is literally they they partitioned it into th- I believe three different countries if I remember correctly Iran um, Iraq and Turkey um, and so the Kurdistan people are divided into three and then in order to keep control of them they would pay the Kurds on one side of the border to shell the Kurds on the other side of the border uh, and keep them basically at each other's throat because a, a nation divided um, will not ever rise up against anybody. Uh, and so, and same thing, Iraq has created a whole wholesale out of, uh, I think it's three or four different sects uh, of, of Muslims uh, within Iraq, plus a, a very large Christian Maronite Christian population that's there as well. Uh, Lebanon is created essentially as a um, Alawite, if I, and I may be getting this wrong. I, I know it's uh, Christians and, and a, a smaller sect of, of Islam are created in Lebanon who had been peaceful for about a thousand years and coexisted peacefully. And um, same thing happens in Syria. Uh, so you have, you have different nations that were created with really no, no particular eye towards anything except Lebanon, which was created as a Christian enclave in the Middle East by the Westerners. Um, so yeah, the borders don't make a whole lot of sense. <laughs> and so uh You've created uh, a coast, uh, a, a, a areas that are going to be in constant internal civil war and hopes, I suppose, it was to control them. What do you think? Well, that's that's the issue. We 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 wonder why there's conflict. Why we create? Why we have conflict? Is because we created conflict by putting people that 
necessarily we you know we're not grouping people together first of all we had no business doing it let's let's back up yeah true you know, statement you know the col- you know colonialism historically look at that it's a bad idea it's just not a great way to treat other people like you said all parts of the earth are have been conquered at some point and that mentality we need to stop that of course it's been in human history for as long as we can remember um one thing that i have always <laughs> i want to make sure i word this correctly <laughs> because it is a sensitive topic and it's about israel because should they have a country fine i don't know where to create it it was created it's there we're not gonna get rid of it but it's still a country but we treat it in our politics today in our foreign policy as though we need to protect it at all costs and whatever they do is correct whatever everyone else does against it is incorrect and that is a black and white line that's that is not correct because there are you know the 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 conflicts between the Israels and the Palestinians and that division line of like fighting over a line in the sand literally of of who's allowed to live where is is disgusting because innocent people are dying every day because people are fighting over a literal line in the sand um a couple of years ago i i actually was a recording engineer for a video project we were doing about this there's oh i can't think of what the name is it's Oh, I forget the name of the organization. It is a nonprofit organization um, where survivors of the conflict between uh, the Palestinians and the Israels and, and the Israelites. What's the Israelis. Israelis. I'm like, I'm going <laughs> biblical terms. I'm sorry. Israelis um, come together to talk about why this is bad and talk about their tragedies personally, of people they've lost in the conflict, you know, sons and daughters that died in their sleep because of bombings and things like this. It's we've created this line, these just lines and sands. And then people that have taken ownership saying only we are allowed to live here. You're not allowed to live here. You have to live there and not having any openness instead of creating the open welcoming world. They've closed themselves off into a walled garden and reject outsiders. And we literally did this again, I, and I say we as in the Western world, the right. victors of World War II, obviously you and I personally didn't do anything. No. Um, I did not time travel back in time. I did not invent that. So I have no flux capacitors in my garage. <laughs> or DeLorean. <laughs> or DeLorean. I wish I did. Um, but think about, again, the the I don't know if it's the brazenness or the nativity. We pray this state on the holy ground of the three most dominant religions in the world, the holy site for both Christians and Jews and, and Muslims are on the same country and the same land, yet it is a conflict zone. The holy land is the most holy site for so many people, yet they can't get along. For most of the world's population, for mo- yeah. not everybody, yeah. but, but for, yeah, for most of the world's population. Oh, yes. 
And, and, and I'll, I'll tell you, and, and Keith, I appreciate that perspective. And again, uh, I, I'm going to say this, uh, and I, I've said this to my dad uh, many times. If you picked a side in the Middle East, you picked wrong. <laughs> and I'm just going to, I'm going to, I'm going to leave that out there. I don't pick a side. I observe. I, I see the individual injustices uh, of Christians uh, being intentionally driven out of their their ancestral lands throughout the Middle Eastern nations by warring powers who are being funded by Western powers. Let's let's uh, um, say that. And um, it, it, it is not right to the average human being in this region, regardless of whether they're Jewish, uh, Muslim, or Christian. It, it is bad news when you're funding this side to fight that side because you want to keep everything destabilized. And and I'm not saying that was, I, I don't want to go out and say, yeah, that was the design, but how it was designed could only result in that. If that, is that, is right. that you, you, sense? You're, basically you're trying to say like, I don't know if that was their intention to say, you know what, we're going to put this here just to create conflict, but they didn't think hard enough about it to avoid conflict. Yeah, and, and so we it is a Western created conflict, uh, and and it continues to this very day where we we basically are funding Saudi Arabia's war against Ye Yemen uh, and, and the Yemeni people, and we don't talk about that in our media because we don't want to talk about the hundreds of thousands of deaths in Yemen that that we're basically funding with our oil purchases from Saudi Arabia, and we're also and afraid to talk against the Saudi Arabia, even though. Because we have so many ties with them politically, but you know, they're not, they are no saints. And no, and, and, and I'm not going to bash any individual who's from Saudi Arabia, but the actions of our government and theirs and, and uh, the actions of the Iranian government that I, I just a little while ago did defend in, in a way they're, they're horrible too. I mean, I mean, they're, they're perpetrating terrorism in, in the Middle East, just like the U S is just like Israel is just like Saudi Arabia is there are no clean hands in this, this, yeah. this region. Um, right. We're not and, talking and, about individuals. We're talking about countries and political country. systems. Mm -hmm. I want to, I, I've, I've had several students from the Middle East from Saudi Arabia that were wonderful people. And I've been following them their career on Facebook. I, I they actually one quick fun story. One of our students, she, um, when she went back to Saudi Arabia was right when they allowed women to drive. <laughs> and so I got to, on Facebook, watch videos of women driving in Saudi Arabia for the first time on her Facebook feed. And it was a wonderful, wonderful experience um, to be able to share that. Horrible that it had to take so long, but great experience. So right. again, we're and, talking and about political systems here. We're talking about rulers right. and countries and things like that. Individuals. That's not who we're talking about. And, and of course, every side has a reason why they're doing what they're doing. And, and, and it's usually, it, you know, it all goes back to the dollar, Keith. You know, <laughs> how much money do we have? How do we get more? How do we become a major player on the world stage? And, and we have to do X, Y, and Z to become a major player on the stage. Uh, and, and it goes back to all land is conquered land, right? So this is a way to economically conquer a land. Uh, and not physically conquer it and, and be the big uh, power within that. And, and what's interesting to me is this is a relatively recent evolution in American history. Now, now we're going to, we could talk about Tripoli and we could talk about Northern Africa a little while, but, but I, I want to save that for another episode. Um, but 
in 19, right at the end of World War One, there was a poll done, I believe, in Syria where they said if you had to be ruled by a Western power, if you, you had to be the colony of a Western power, which of this list, and it had basically all the big players, France, Holland, uh, Germany, um, England, and on the list was the United States. And overwhelmingly, uh, I believe it was Syrians picked uh, the United States because huh. we were seen as very benign and very hands-off at that point. Compared oh, true, because going into that, we were a isolationist country. Right, uh, meaning politi- uh, militarily isolationist yeah. and politically isolationist. So we were seen as being relatively benign in spite of maybe our sordid past in the Philippines and 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 some of the Spanish uh, colonies that we took over when we won the Spanish-American War. But on the worldwide stage, we were seen as, as a relatively benign, hands-off nation. And, and so how do we get from that point, basically 100 years ago, to where we are now? It is a series of miscalculations. And, and I talked about Kermit Roosevelt, who was the son of Teddy Roosevelt, the progressive, and... and working within the Eisenhower administration to destabilize the government of Iran, of Iran to create a optimal economic situation for the UK and the United States. And, uh, you know, politics makes strange bedfellows, don't they? <laughs> and so um, now I'm not saying Kermit Roosevelt was a progressive. I don't know what his politics were. Uh, I don't know. He was anybody a frog. Yeah, so, uh, That's all yes, I can think yeah. about. I'm sorry. <laughs> I knew that that joke was going to come out when I, 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 I remember his first name was Kermit. Uh, but anyway, Kermit used to be a name, not just for frogs. But anyway, I um, have Kermit the Frog here. So, uh, but yeah, I, I think, you know, we, we really need to step back and, and, and we can take this to a more modern um, situation where in 1980 uh, or 79 or 80, I believe uh, the Soviet Union invades Afghanistan uh, the United States comes sweeping in and we arm the opposition to Afghanistan, which turns around and flips when we go into Afghanistan. And they're the same people that we use against the Soviet Union are now using our own ammunition and our own weapons against the United States. And so, you know, the enemy of my enemy may be my friend today. He may be my enemy tomorrow. <laughs> and so, um, and again, we probably ought to save the Afghanistan war for another time, but December this, this, 24th, 1979. There you go. So, you know, time and time, and that's why I didn't know if it was 79 or 80. Yeah, right, it's, yeah, right at the end. Wow. This is a long yeah. war, 10 years. It, well, and to the average Afghani, that war kept right on going until uh, last year. Yeah. You know, one Western power just replaced another Western power and destabilizing their nation. So, uh, and I know we don't think like that, but if I'm a, a herder on, on a mountain on the side of Afghanistan, uh, don't mean to insult y'all, but all you white people look the same to me. Uh, so, you know, <laughs> Russians, Americans, they don't look much different to me. You know, if yeah, I'm you know they, they see a white soldier in fatigues carrying a, an assault rifle. You know, and truly an assault rifle because it is capable of a fully automatic fire. So, uh, <laughs> and they all they know is those people are coming over here and they're shooting uh, shooting our people. And uh, again, not not to make a judgment call, but putting yourself in the mind of a person who just wants his kids to have a better life than him, maybe maybe there is some truth to the charges that are are, are placed against us. Also, nowadays, and, you know, one drone from another drone doesn't look different either. No. 
Because a no. lot of our warfare is not even fought on the ground anymore. It's all fought with drones. And yeah. And, and so we, we have created a situation by meddling, by meddling. And we don't think in terms of millennia and, and think about how this is going to impact uh, those folks who aren't going to forget. They're not going to forget that, that you did this to them. Uh, doesn't matter if, if we give them billions and billions in aid, they're not going to forget. <laughs> no, the only way you could ever get on the path of healing is for actual true remorse. And that's never going to happen. You know, you, imagine having a U.S. president stand on the stage and give a half hour long speech apologizing to the Middle Eastern countries about the wrongs that we've done to them and try to broker a how do we move forward from here conversation. Well, you know, that's funny that you should say that. And, and, and I love that you said it. Uh, there was a president who spoke about the 28 Mordad coup. Um, and, and, and my friends on the right, you're not going to like this, but it was President Obama who spoke about the 28 Mordad coup and said that essentially the United States had a, played a big part in destabilizing the government of Iran. Now, he didn't apologize for it specifically, but, but he owned up at least to the actions of it. And, I know and then politically uh, what happened with everyone on the right, they all criticized him for looking weak. You know, what's interesting to me about Which that, is, I hate that. Is, is by any accounting, most folks would figure I'm on the right. I, I mean, it's an accusation that's thrown at me pretty often. Um, and, and I'm probably, I'm probably not as far on the right as folks think I am because usually my conclusions came from a different path, but, but a lot of them end up being right conclusions, meaning right wing, not correct. Oh, they are that too. Uh, and that was for Charles, by the way. So anyway, uh, but, but uh, I think in this case, you have to remove right and left from this conversation. I, I mentioned again, we had a progressive operative working with a Republican administration to destabilize a government. Who do we blame that on right or the left or both? <laughs> so, and, we need and, to stop. Well, Politically speaking, sidetrack for a second, we need to stop blaming things on right or left and actually work together in order to do things. That's a whole nother oh, conversation. Imagine that. Imagine but, that. But again, like I said, Obama, you said Obama came out and even recognized that it happened. And then the right wing media is going to just trounce him and talk about how weak he is. How dare he do that? He looks like a weak leader to the rest of the world, which is the tr picture they were trying to paint all eight years of his presidency and before that. And you're never, if you can't get a consensus of the U.S. population to even go behind the leader to say these things, it's going to hard to then convince that the, the Middle Eastern countries that we're sincere about this and we need to make amends and move forward from here so we don't continue to have conflict. But that's not I don't see how that happens anytime soon. I don't see how our political system reconciles its problems with each other and ever makes that kind of thing because that's not on the top right of anyone's priority list to do. Uh, there's a lot more things going on currently that people are worried about than that. There's still a war in Russia going on, of course, in the Ukraine. Yeah, and and I agree with you wholeheartedly. And, uh, I, you know, the funny thing is I'm a guy who's always referred to the Bush-Obama foreign policy because I didn't see any difference between the two presidents. There was none. And and I think we can all look back in 2020 hindsight and say, hey, Mike, Mike was onto something then. And I did that probably in the second year of his presidency. You know, there, there's an old libertarian rule about this. No matter who you elect, you get John McCain when it comes to foreign policy. 
And I think there's a lot of truth to that. Uh, maybe Bernie would have been different and maybe Ron Paul would have been different. But but other than those two, I can't think of any candidate that wouldn't have probably ended up in the same place. Uh, and, and so. Uh, well, realistically I, I, speaking, most of your president, most people that become president are more moderate than anything else. Most well, and, and they understand that the military, military industrial complex is driving our economy. Correct. And, and so the idea of destabilizing our economy by declaring peace is not going to sell well in Washington, D.C. or in Burbank, California, or in uh, Houston, Texas, or where any of the Grand Connecticut. Is, yeah, where any of the defense industry is is, is situated. Uh, and I'm not attacking the defense industry, um, but they are a major player on Capitol Hill and ensuring that these these sweetheart deals for selling weapons and systems to well, they also, Saudi Arabia, for they example. They also employ, they, you know, th this is the other thing. They employ a lot of U.S. citizens. At, you know, and in uh, fact, I at one time in my life worked for one of those defense contractors. So one of my friends uh, works at Sikorsky making helicopters. He's, yeah, he's one of the last right, people on the line before they fly. Yeah, right down the street from you guys. And 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 I've been by there. Um it's, it's, it's not, I'm not uh, attacking those specific industries, but you don't think we're making lots of money selling weapons to both the Israelis and the Saudis. Look, I've watched a lot of movies about uh, weapons dealers and they sell to everybody. Of course. They don't, that's how you make money. You don't discriminate when you're selling money, weapons for profit, you sell it to whoever gives you the money and you make sure you don't make them angry at you. Right. And the only color <laughs> they care about is green. Exactly. So um, I, I, I think, you know, we, we've gone a little while on this and, and this probably doesn't have to be a too terribly long episode, <laughs> uh, but I think what we what need to I, disagree I, about I, something. That's what we need. We need to disagreement here. <laughs> well, I, I think, I think um, it's going to be awful hard to disagree on this one because both parties have really perpetrated this uh, since 1918 um, ish. Uh, this has been going on pretty hardcore for a long time. Uh, there have been exceptions, uh, occasional exceptions uh, in, in history, um, but in recent history. But but 20th century history is is just littered with both sides agreeing that we have to keep these brown people in this part of the country in, in on their heels so that they don't start to come forward. And and I don't think it's prob. I don't know. I can't assign what the motivation for that is because I can't get in their mind. But I, I think we have to accept the fact that we, we have not always been the kind, benevolent uh, exporters of Republican government and constitutional thought, and, and that we're more than happy to uh, prop up tyrants in this country if they uh, espouse ideas that we think are really cool, like Soviet bad and America good. And, um, and uh, even if they say Soviet bad, America good, but if, we don't, if they call themselves uh, socialists or communists, <laughs> and I'm not making I'm not making excuses for any of those political philosophies, either of those political philosophies, because they're literally on the opposite side of where I am. Uh, but uh, it's probably best not to kill those lawfully elected leaders, regardless of what your per personal politics are. Yeah, try, um, and trying. Well, and if we're going to kill lawfully elected leaders, can we start with Putin instead? Uh, oh, stop. Please. <laughs> not that stop. he not that he was legitimately legally voted in, because that's a whole nother <laughs> That's a whole other episode. And, and, and but uh, so in one thing I do want to, you're talking about, you know, keeping those brown people where they want that, you know, why is that motivation? There is something um, 
human nature wise, evolutionary wise, that goes back a hundred thousand years and it's tribalism. It is, it's built deep down inside of all of us where we accept those that look like us because we know where they came from. It's, it's from when we grew up in the plains of Africa and you only knew the 15 people in your tribe. And when someone different looked, who looked different came in, you knew they were from the outside and there was a distrust there and you had to find out who they were and be able to trust them in. And that's human evolution, human history. And that is deep in our DNA. And it's hard to undo that. We have to consciously undo that to become a better person. And that's why it's easy for us to, you you look at our immigration policy, you know, if you come from a white European nation, it's easy to get immigrated into the U.S. Um, used to be. Not anymore. Well, not anymore. Easier. There, <laughs> it was easy. It now, used to be very easy to come from, unless you were Italian. Uh, and I'm not being funny. Yeah. We talked about this before. But but yeah, if you were a Northern European until the mid 20th century, getting in this, well, probably late 20th century, it was very easy but, to but get But even now, the lottery system, the, there's, there's more, you get, I forgot, it's like a point system now. I forgot how they changed it. But you, it's, Easier to apply if you come from certain nations versus others. And right. Oh, it you is. look and at the color Cuban, of the skin, it makes a big difference. Cuba, Cuba has a priority. If Cubans have a priority to get into this country. Uh, and I'm not attacking the Cuban uh, people here in the U.S., but they do have a priority to come in this country, maybe rightfully so, with, with looking at their government. Well, again, uh, that goes back to communism, fighting them. Right. But their next door neighbor, <laughs> just a few islands over Haitians, don't have that same advantage coming into this country. And we're going to save the, the immigration talk because this is another subject that I'm pretty conversant on because I actually enforce immigration laws for a little while. Uh, but, but you know, it is one of those things where, and, and I, I'll be real honest, they may use may have used Brown as an excuse back then, but really all they were worried about, again, was green. Uh, uh, and so, Cha-ching. you know, it, it was a way to, 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 to utilize and exploit a region for economic gain. In that case, it's probably still is. Uh, Though, you know, currently it's backfiring on us because we've driven the price of a, a barrel of oil up $100 in the last year. Um, but um, it, it is uh, it is a tactic. Uh, destabilization uh, leads to economic control, which is exactly what's happening. And um, there are no good guys. That's probably the bottom line here, Keith. There just are no good guys. Um, and, and, and in this case, unfortunately, including us. Um, and I don't like my policy of my nation, but I love my government. I don't love my government, but I love my nation. Let me say that the right way. So uh, I love my people. I'm not even sure where I feel about that at, at all anymore. I like the people I know. <laughs> hey, I wanted to use, you, you mentioned tribalism before we cut off. Uh, it's not a melanin based thing either. And I wanted to mention that specifically. If you look at your local group of motorcyclists who, who ride down the road on Saturday together, uh, and you look at them as they pass by, you're going to see every skin tone uh, on earth and many of these larger groups of guys riding together. It's still tribalism because what do they have in common? Right. And, your, your tribe changes based on what you're doing, but still right. tribalism. And and as a, an avid motorcyclist who, who loves his motorcycles, I stop for any motorcyclist on the side of the road. Always do. And, and it's there's a reason. I Specifically, you're, you're incredibly vulnerable on a motorcycle sitting on the side of the road. Mm-hmm. But we also have a shared common experience that, that we, uh, we can uh, discuss and talk about and, and, and immediately relate to one another on. And, and so that is my tribe. That is one of my tribes. And, and so 
Um, you know, if and if you haven't seen the graphic from this show, uh, that other guy in the picture who isn't me, he's a big part of my tribe. And we don't look alike. Well, we do, but we don't look alike in some aspects. And so, you know, it, it's tribalism doesn't mean that you're racist. It, it just simply means that there are groups with that when you're in that group, you're incredibly comfortable. Um, and, and it's more, what's the right word, uh, Keith? It's not racism. What would be the right word for that? It's exclusionary. Yeah, it's um, part. Well, that part of tribalism is exclusionary based on characteristic. You know, the idea of tribalism is, you know, this is my tribe and I know. Yeah, it's culture. Exactly. Culture. This is we have a shared culture and that can that can go across race and religion and all these things. You can have different share and you can be part of different culture groups. You can be part of different tribes. Right. So it's just, it's, a, it's just a term I want to throw out there about tribalism and then, and that whether, cause it's, is subconscious to some level and it does seep into our policies. And I, also, I, I, you, know, you know, again, look at the Middle East, look at the predominant religion as well. I see, I know of a lot of judo Christian organizations, but we're, I don't know of a lot of Christian Islamic or judo Islamic or judo Christian Islamic organizations that exist. Even though we all have a, we all have a shared religious history. We right. just branch off at different points, but right. but we and, we tend to not again the royal we, not you and I. <laughs> tend, you know, again as a Catholic, you know, I know that we have a shared religious root, but at some point, you know, the the philosophies branch off from each other. However. We have that shared history, yet people forget about that, and they and they say no, they're this other religion that isn't good or whatever. I'm like, do you even know their religion? Because you don't, if you think that, because they're it's our religion too. We have this. We we both believe in Abraham, right? We're <laughs> Abrahamic people, and, exactly. and uh, if if not if not uh, DNA wise, uh, philosophy wise, and and. Um, I, I think it's, it's, uh, I, you know, I went searching for Muslim Christian associations. There are some, I've never heard of any of them. <laughs> so it's, uh, I mean, I didn't think there weren't any, but I just, I've never personally heard of them. I know of Judo Christian organizations, but never Muslim and Christian, Muslim and Jewish. And it I, looks it's like not as most common. Of them, most of them are actually based on Christians and Muslims in the Middle East alliances and not Western Christians and, and Muslims mm. alliances. So, uh, I, I, when you said that, I, I was kind of chuckling in my head because I do know that there were times when the Crusaders stopped fighting the the Muslims long enough to uh, fight Genghis Khan as he tried to, or I think it was Genghis Khan as he tried to invade. So uh, there, there were alliances of uh, convenience occasionally in the Crusades, but not very often. Um, and of course, that's probably another episode. Yeah, let's but- not get on the Crusades. It's, it's, it's- <laughs> That's well, that one may be, uh, maybe, uh, but uh, it, it's, it's so any, any final thoughts on this before we close this topic, Keith, peace, love, and happiness, man. I, I'm with you. I, I we, think uh, we should, we should all we, think we about, messed up. yeah, we should all think about the, these, these religious systems and beliefs and credos and, and maybe try to adhere to them a little bit better in our interactions with other nations. And uh, the other thing is, as your government, you're not guilty because of your government. Uh, you don't carry that that guilt. Um, we, but unfortunately, we are, you carry the consequences. 
right. But we're not impugning individuals. We were impugning governments. And so on that happy note, I have a list of folks to thank. And the person who sent me the list texted me in the middle of that. So I had to scroll back up. So I want to thank Sacred Heart University and the School of Communication and the Arts, uh, Dr. Jim Castengay, uh, Keith Zdrojevi. Uh, Close enough. <laughs> Close enough? How, how far off? Zdrojevi. Is the very, very the poor way of saying. All right. My my uh, absent co-host, Charles Frederick Sacrese, and uh, my my partner in crime when it comes to music, uh, Carl Groves of the Lazarus Trio. And, and I want to thank you, our listeners, and ask you again to please go on to Apple and Amazon and all those wonderful sites and give us those five stars. Tell us if you want to tell us how terrible we are in the, in the comments, but we would love to get your five stars. Ask a friend to give us a listen. I, I think... Uh, we do a good job of trying to balance both sides, in my own opinion. And if we're not, be sure to email us at uh, civildiscoursetnss at gmail.com. This is not a safe space. And we would love to hear your thoughts. I, I haven't checked the email lately. I probably ought to, Keith. So it's a good idea. Uh, and, and so until we see you or hear you, you hear us next time, have a great week. Be kind to one another. And thank you so much for listening. Surrender.